Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, December 13th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my equal in age partner <laughs> and my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Good. Happy belated birthday, buddy. Uh, Thank you. Not to make it about me right off the bat, but I am once again complete. Uh, after going one year, eight months, 12 days, which is the longest span of my life since I was 16 years old and went to my first concert by myself, I finally got to see live music again. And it was one of those things where you didn't even realize how much you missed it until you were back in it again. Uh, I was so happy and I'm so happy the curse is broken. It stopped at four getting canceled on me uh, back home in Toronto feeling relaxed, happy to be off. I'm feeling good. How are you doing? Excellent. I'm doing well. What you're, what, what I'm hearing is you've got about a month here now in Toronto. Obviously the concerts are on deck. Um, you've got plenty of time to really dive into the sports, get some heavy, heavy numbers for us, deep numbers for us uh, oh, on the upcoming pods. <laughs> that is the plan. Uh, if that's, 100% of why I took this time off really and no other reason than to just go full send on <laughs> being a what are the holidays really but I am looking there's a lot of days I get home from work and I just don't have it in me to throw the game on because like cooking and such and I don't know if you find this but I want to be in full analyst mode I, I I struggle to just casually watch a game and it bothers me when I miss significant stretches or big moments or even plays that I wish I was getting better. So it's a bit, I almost feel like I ruin it for myself sometimes by demanding too much of myself. Uh, and I'm hoping with a lot more free time, I can put that hat on and sink, sink a bit deeper into that chair. Fantastic. The The best thing about the holidays too, is that the sports are on during the day. So it's yeah. not stuck at night. Whereas you can, you can turn on a game at 2 PM and take it in. And I cannot wait for that. Of course, the world juniors is a big part of that as well. Oh yeah. And yeah, it becomes the perfect cycle. You can drink all night, wake up, kill the hangover. And then by the time you're ready to look at a screen, the games are on. I know that's exactly what you love about the holidays, my friend. Exactly. That's exactly it. You're being really cheeky here after eight days. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm 23, you know? Welcome. Just, just another year of, I guess... I don't even know what you would want to call it, but my personality has evolved into another layer, right? So now I... there's two layers, sports <laughs> and more sports. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, you got some sports and more sports for us to talk about. Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to start because it was kind of the big event on Sunday for a lot of people around the world, it's a sport that's grown immensely, uh, partially due to a Netflix show, which is fantastic. And I would recommend that to you as a holiday viewing uh, when you have the time. Formula One, the show called Drive to Survive, is behind the scenes look at uh, the sport of Formula One. It's, it's kind of shocking how uh, 
it's almost like keeping up with the Kardashians, but race car drivers. Uh, they are divas. They are interesting fellows for sure. And uh, it's pretty crazy, the stuff that they do, the lengths that they go, the speeds that they travel in their sport. It, it, I definitely found a new appreciation for motorsports after watching the series, which led me to take in my first ever Formula race uh, last weekend. Uh for, for that race. And, and then this final race of the season, first time, uh, I've tuned into multiple races and it was a great time to tune in. Of course, last race of the season, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen equal in points on the season. So winner take all in this race, uh, they are so far ahead of each other. Lewis has won eight formula one Grand uh, championships in a row. So looking for his ninth straight. I believe, or maybe it's eighth straight. Yikes. See, still learning, still learning the sport. Um, one of the most dominant drivers of all time and Max Verstappen, uh, the young Dutchman at 23 years of age, some crazy driving, some controversy in this race. Uh, a lot of the races this season, the FIA, the body that governs the sport kind of rode the rule book by the seat of their pants. And this was no different. Um, seemed to be a bit of a gray area in terms of how the rules worked with a crash late in the race safety car comes ends and it's the last lap and they are side by side starting the last lap in the last race of the season wow this is some talladega knights level stuff. oh my gosh if you're netflix you're just cashing the checks now it's unbelievable and they go side by side but max verstappen uh was able to pit and get better tires for this final lap slightly earlier on in the race um and lewis was actually far ahead of him because of that pit stop but because of the safety car max was able to catch up which seemed sort of sketchy but uh the protests were uh, i guess released they were thrown aside and he caught up and managed to pass hamilton on the last lap and take it home uh the first driver's championship for him and the first time Red Bull has won a driver's championship in the last time they won was before Lewis went on his, uh, his run. And it was really exciting. And I can't wait to watch them go back at it again next year. So uh, gained a new fan with this season, really fun stuff from formula one, just all time. Like what is going on? So much drama ends with a spectacular and controversial finish. You can't ask for anything more. If you're Netflix, if you're F1, if you're fans of every driver, except Lewis Hamilton. Um, yeah, really, really cool stuff. And a great start uh, on a 9am to wake up and watch the second half of that race to, to start my Sunday. So how long were you watching for? I watched about half an hour. So okay. kind of the last quarter of the race and then the celebration afterwards yeah <laughs> there you go tuned yes. in at exactly the right time nice and so of what? course that rolled in right into my football sunday as usual um and unfortunately it's a bit downhill from there uh the nfl sunday not super spectacular in any way shape or form a lot of matchups were either blowouts or just generally not interesting uh, between a couple of lower class teams or teams without stars 
or just teams beating up on other teams. Uh, but some key results in the weekend is that the Chiefs are back. The Raiders celebrating on the Chiefs logo before the game. The Chiefs go out, beat them 48-9, to just crush them. Uh, they are now 9-4 and on the season, tied with the Patriots for the number one seed in the AFC after we were calling them dead as early as week five. But nope, the Chiefs, don't count them out. They're back. Uh, both sides of the ball looking extra spicy and and they're coming up on Thursday night against the LA Chargers in an awesome matchup between the two top teams in the AFC West. The Cleveland Browns managed to survive a late surge by the Ravens, but beat Baltimore. Uh, two big things contributed in this game. First, Lamar Jackson uh, with an ankle injury leaves the game. Tyler Huntley in replacement actually did a suitable job as the backup. Uh, but just not enough. Miles Garrett gets a strip sack and scoops it up for a touchdown. Uh, and the Browns hold on. And this whole AFC North is just cannibalizing on each other, it seems. Um, another weird result. Baltimore's still at the top of that table, but all four of those teams over 500 uh, and all within two games of each other. And none of them, I would say, are even that special. Like they're all solid teams in the middle there but none of them belong at the top or the bottom of the AFC so then we go to the afternoon games aren't much better Buffalo ended up coming back in a game that they had no business being in Tampa Bay dominated them for the majority of the game they come back force overtime and a 58 yard touchdown from Tom Brady to Brashad Perryman Tom Brady throwing his 700th career touchdown pass um, the first one ever to hit that mark and the Buccaneers win their last seemingly difficult match of the season. Really? Um, they've got a bunch of below 500 teams lined up on their slate or uh, the New Orleans Saints, who I think are sitting around 500. So they have the potential to just really run the table out here and, and chase that number one seed as they look to defend their Super Bowl. And if you're the Buffalo Bills, the alarm bells are going off now. You're seven and six. There are four other teams in the AFC at seven and six. So you are not by no means guaranteed a playoff spot and are going to have to get their button gear. They played the Patriots again sometimes this month. Next week. <laughs> so that's tough. That's really, really tough. Uh, other games more exciting. The 49ers and the Bengals go to overtime. The 49ers give up a field goal to start overtime, go down the field score a touchdown to win it and walk it off. They rolling now. I believe that's four in a row for them. Uh, and they are moving their way up the wildcard rankings. It would be really fun to see them uh, get back to the power that they were two seasons ago when we, when they were in the Super Bowl. They've just been ravaged by injuries. And I the things are starting to come together for them. They haven't had anything spectacular, but Debo Samuel's a playmaker, Brandon Ayuk's a playmaker, and then they always seem to find just a slew of running backs who can get the job done, uh, and they've been able to produce. So Kyle Shanahan, couple tough stretches this year and last, but he's starting to put things together and, and regain that pedigree that he had coming into the job. Uh, the Chargers and the Broncos take care of business in their respective games. Uh, they're, they're both in that playoff picture, the chargers comfortably in the five seed, uh, at eight and five, but they have the big matchup against the chiefs this week, which is probably going to be the best week 
or best game of the whole week coming up, but we'll, we'll get to that on Thursday. And then the final game of the night, Sunday night, Green Bay and Chicago tight game into half. And then the Packers end up running away with it. Win by 15 and Rogers continues to own Chicago and, and Green Bay silently continues to cover games and continues to march their way towards the number one seed in the NFC. Um, them, Arizona and Tampa Bay are probably your, your top three there uh, in the race for that. And it's so important because they're the only teams that, that, that one seed is the only team that gets a buy in the playoffs and no one wants to go to Lambeau <laughs> come January. For sure. Speaking of the Cardinals, that game gets underway in about half an hour here at time of recording against the Los Angeles Rams, a huge game with implications, not only for the division in the NFC West, but also the overall playoff picture. Who's going for the one seed, who's going to get the five seed uh, big game tonight, Arizona blew out LA earlier in the season. So obviously Sean McVay looking for his revenge, but will this Rams team be able to turn it around? They they've kind of sputtered in primetime matchups uh, as of late in the last five weeks or so. And can they figure out a way to get Odell Beckham Jr. going to the potential that everyone expects him to be at? Who knows this Cardinals team, their defense is really underrated in my opinion. They've got playmakers all over the field and Kyler Murray looks back and healthy and I need him to have a big fantasy performance for me tonight in order to pull out my matchup. But luckily, I'm into the playoffs. Playoffs start next week. Some playoffs started this week for fantasy, and there's still bye weeks going on. So uh, my heart goes out to those individuals who had to go into a fantasy playoff matchup with people on buys. That really sucks. But looking forward to next week um, for fantasy playoffs to get underway. How's it been for you? I've heard you talk about some fantasy toughness. Yeah. Like, how's the regular season gone? My my regular season has honestly gone with the performance of Kyler Murray. Uh, so 3-0 and to start the season. Then he kind of gets hurt, banged up. It was a rough stretch there for a bit. Um, I'm actually in line to lose this week against a, a softer matchup, which sucks, but I am 8-5 and five on the season. So I'll probably finish 8-6, and six, and I'm sitting around the 7 or 8th seed in my league. So tough first-round matchup ahead of me. Uh, but in fantasy, like it's you never know. You just want to get into the playoffs and then anything can happen. The seeding doesn't necessarily matter in, in this case. Um, so yeah, not my best season, not like last year where I was just rolling, but that's fantasy, right? 10% excitement, 90% frustration. <laughs> well, my thoughts and all our listeners giving you the best of wishes for your fantasy playoff matchups. And I'll be excited to hear how that goes next week. But for now, we're going to transition into our basketball segment on the show. A busy week for me, I guess, six days since I've left Montreal. And I had the Lakers Grizzlies on in the background one night. But other than that, really haven't been a lot of sports. Uh, But every dark cloud, it's silver lining. I'm hoping... There's a couple of listeners like me who've had a busy week, haven't had time to really follow what's been going on. And for all those, I've taken a couple hours to just look around the stats and find some trends I found interesting, see what's shifted since the last time. This isn't like a full check-in or anything, but uh, I think we'll just go through each division here. 
top to bottom. And as we get to teams in your notes, you'll step in. I'm providing the quantitative. You can give the qualitative and we'll bring the best of both. So the first one, uh, I guess I'll quickly say the NBA Canada website kind of sucks for stats. I don't know why they can't just give us the same options the American website has. But there was one feature I found really interesting that was kind of all its uh, all the streaks. So you could see the last 10, their uh, last 10, or their streak on the road, their streak at home, their biggest win streak, their biggest lose streak of the season. And that last one really caught my eye as uh, only two teams in the NBA have not dropped back-to-back -back losses so far this season. And no surprise, each team in the one or two spot in the East, the number one team, the Brooklyn Nets, who they dropped that game to the Rockets, which I found fascinating. They, it's been a bit of a narrative on the show. They keep losing the big matchups, but despite that, they bounce back. They haven't had a slide yet. And that's really why they're in first place. So I really don't know what I'm expecting from this team until they start consistently winning some of those primetime tough matchups. I'm not sold on these guys in the playoffs, but uh, that consistency that they've been bringing uh, responsible for their number one spot and uh, Kevin Durant, of course, dropping a I don't know what you call, want to call it, season best game, a season statement game, career statement game. He doesn't go 50 plus very often, eh? 50 Burker. I mean, he's consistently around 30 for yeah. his career, which is pretty incredible. I'd take but yeah, that. extra something extra special for Detroit that night. <laughs> uh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, the Bucks after a slow start to the season that saw them sitting below 500 and in the 11th seed at one spot have steadily climbed their way to the second seed, just winning all the games they're supposed to win. Uh, I think just dropping a game against the heat and the Raptors really since the last time we checked in. And other than that, winning the matchups, they should win easily and winning the tougher matchups as well. Giannis just so still pretty much at the exact same level he was when he got his back-to-back -back MVP. A uh, little less of a workload with Holiday and Middleton starting to come back a little more into form. Uh, Portis, Allen, and Connaughton giving them some nice depth for the rest. We knew this team would get rolling, and that's exactly what we're seeing there. A lot more surprising, the Cleveland Cavaliers, after having a really tough run where they were up against like Nets, Bucks, uh, Suns, I think the Warriors as well, they dropped five in a row and it was like, okay, here they go out of the standings, but they get a couple bird matchups and uh, they take those and they manage to hang in. This team, it's kind of perplexing me because offensively, no one's really doing anything that special. They're staying consistent. Um, Evan Mobley, like two blocks, a steal a game. He's shooting the three ball well enough that Allen can be on the floor for some spacing and giving Allen some nice efficiency there in the paint. And it just seems like a team that's flowing and clicking, maybe with low expectations. They just going out and having fun. It's it's incredible, quite frankly, what Evan Mobley has done uh, for this team. And if anyone watched the Sacramento Cleveland game on the weekend or caught snippets of it, it just looked like a nightmare, quite frankly, for the Kings. Anytime they penetrated the paint, 
it was an altered shot or a block shot from Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Like it's impossible to attack the rim when those two guys are on the floor and because of Mobley's perimeter skills and the way that he flows in any type of offense, it seems right now, uh, you can play those two guys together. It's, it's truly remarkable what he's done. Like the big stat that I wanted to bring up was he is a, he has a net rating of plus 10 when he's when on the court versus off the court. So the Cavaliers are 10 points better when he's on the court versus off per 100 possessions um that in itself is is a like pretty powerful statement to show the impact that he has had this season and then as well like i mentioned uh early on ricky rubio obviously colin sexton's a great player but ricky rubio almost is like that dollar store version of chris paul where he can raise the floor of your team He's a guy that gets you in your offensive sets, right? A veteran point guard to really bring up the floor and the understanding IQ of the rest of these young players and their potentials really starting to show through. Yeah, they weather a really tough match or set of matchups and manage to stay above 500. You've got to think the confidence is going to be growing for this team. Come playoff time, it's hard to expect much, but it's starting to be hard to dismiss them and say they're not for real almost over a third of the way into the season. Uh, Definitely something I'm going to be fascinated to check in on around the halfway mark. Um, Last thing in the East for me, I don't have much on this, but the Detroit Pistons on a league worst 12 game losing streak, putting them in dead last and probably cementing it. Uh, I guess I I don't think there was any real expectation for Cade Cunningham to single-handedly turn this team around. Like he was playing on an average Oklahoma team and really raising the floor in college, but the NBA, just a different level, a different breed. Uh, A couple more years of drafting and maybe this team will be something, but right now just nowhere near. Yeah. The the two things that I really gathered from watching a little bit of, of his play, I watched, Detroit versus Oklahoma City the other night. Um, he looks solid, but what like what I heard um, the low post podcast and uh, a couple things I gathered from there is that he's just not plus explosive, and he's not necessarily as big as we had him projected coming out of college. Like some people like to have him six seven six eight. He's six six. Um, which is still huge for a point guard, but not that necessarily plus size. And he's never going to just blow by guys. He's a little bit more reliant on shiftier or using his size uh, over smaller defenders. Um, And that's what he did so well in college with the high, low actions with the, with the big men and then posting up guards. He was really effective at that. Um, You don't see a lot of that in the NBA. And so while he's a solid shooter, that threat gets taken away because guys aren't afraid to really press up on him when he has the ball and and attack his handle because they're not threatened by him to be able to blow by them. And so when you're not blowing by guys, it means when you decide to kick the ball out to shooters, they're going to be slightly more contested. Um, I don't, it's probably a little bit of chicken in the egg, but Detroit is one of the worst shooting teams in the league. Uh, partially that's because they don't generate enough open looks and partially that's just, they don't have the same quality of shooters on the team. And so that has hurt a bit of Cade's assist totals, but overall, like 
for the quality of the team he's on, I think he's been really great so far this season mm-hmm. from what I've seen. Yeah, I, it's three years too early to really comment on how he lived up to his potential. Yeah. And uh, it, there's just Although, no miracle. Based on the team we just talked about, early takeaway is that Evan Mobley probably should have gone number one. <laughs> yeah, I... You think Mobley has the same season he's having with the Cavs on the Pistons? Like, does he have a literal Andre Drummond season? I I would say yes, because of what he does to connect people on the defensive floor. And I think he'd actually get a little bit more opportunity to do things offensively. A lot of his offensive touches are being taken by Garland, by Sexton earlier in the season. Um, and, and, so I, I would say, yes, I, I think he would do what he was doing on the Cavs. He would do that with the Pistons as well. Well, maybe Mobley, maybe uh, Cunningham, but what about Barnes? I love Scotty Barnes, man. Um, this is another stat that I took from uh, a Ringer NBA show podcast on young players. Scotty Barnes has an equal amount of time, as of this weekend, has an equal amount of time guarding centers as he does point guards so he guards point guards on 20 percent of his possessions and guards centers on on around 21 percent of his possessions just shows the versatility there as a defender um and he's only going to get better as the season goes along and he learns how guys what their tendencies are he learns about the speed of the game he learns how to read nba offenses um really really great foundation for him he's already got three blocks tonight against sacramento and can't ask for anything more. He's been outstanding and three point shot has really come around. He started pretty horrendously from three, just hadn't been taking a lot, but he's shooting with a ton of confidence right now. Uh, and, And you can't ask for anything more out of a rookie who's playing on a team that's not necessarily looking to contend for a title, but is just looking to be competitive night in and night out. And he fits right into their culture seamlessly. Like it's really great to watch him play. And then also him on the sideline and off the court on social media is just a great time. Scotty. Uh, the only thing about this raps team I, I want to get your opinion on is Fred Van Fleet averaging 38 minutes a game right now. Goran Dragic played just five games. I know he, I think he's still out. I know he was a while ago taking care of personal matters, but if something goes wrong with Van Fleet's health, as we're seeing with Ananobi, as we saw with Piast Siakam, how heavy does the blame lie on Nurse for not, for overplaying uh, Van Fleet when you have a perfectly serviceable point guard in Dragic? I know he wants to get the young guys, Flynn, Banton, their looks and time on the court. But And I know Van Fleet is amazing in the fourth quarter, but I'm really perplexed as to why just like six minutes in the second quarter and I'm not worried about Van Fleet averaging 32 minutes a game. And I don't think we see that much of a dip in offensive production for the team. I want Van Fleet there in the fourth quarter. He's so clutch, but... Uh, I'm, that stat worries me. I mean, Ananobi right up there with 37 minutes and we see where he's at right now. I, I know the stats aren't everything, but that caught my eye. I wanted to get your opinion on it. Yeah, this is nothing new for Fred Van Bleet, right? He has played top five in minutes the last three seasons now. He just logs them. Um, it's come up as a 
conversation topic before he's brushed it aside. He loves getting out there. He always has something to prove every time he steps on the court. Um, it is tough though. Goran Dragic is in Slovenia. Like he's gone there. He's yeah. not coming back until the trade deadline. If they move him or whatever, buy it, whatever that is, he's done. So what I'll say is when Fred Van Vliet is not on the court, the Raptors get outscored or the net rating for him on off. I know I said Evan Mobley's 10. Fred Van Vliet's 13 points per plus 13 per 100 possessions, right? On and off the court. He, it doesn't seem like it, but he means everything to this offense. It just does not function without him. You can see it. He's off for three minutes and the Raptors just give up a huge run. Their offense is clunky. There's no spacing. Um, they really, really struggle. And Delano Benton, as fun as he is, he cannot be on the court at the same time as Scotty or Pascal, because uh, then you just have two questionable outside shooters, at least guys who have the ball in their hands a lot. Um, and they just don't work well off of each other. And then Malachi Flynn just hasn't shown enough, uh, according to Nick Nurse, to, to really trust him in the rotation. So I say, unless the Raptors make a move to, to get another more reliable guard, Fred's just going to have to play a ton of minutes and it's, it's not ideal, but it's what has to happen because he's just so crucial to this team. Now without Kyle Lowry, both of him and Kyle played 38 minutes per game last year. They're essential. Uh, and now without Kyle, it's all on Fred seemingly. I take it back after hearing that net rating and play him 48 minutes. Uh, I will say it's different for a six foot guard to be playing those minutes than a six foot eight, 250 pound player. Yeah. But you also think back to last season and at 36 years old, of course, but Kyle Lowry having a lot of foot issues uh, that does catch up eventually, hopefully not anytime in the near future. Uh, that's all I've got for the, east i'm ready to move on to the west unless you have any remaining notes last thing i'll say on kyle lowry is get the all-star bandwagon start now <laughs> please like i know i mentioned that but he is so truly essential to this team and he's just not going to get the love at, at some of these other guards that score a ton but he's everything to this team like you could argue for ananobi you could argue for pascal but it's truly oh you're Fred talking Van about van fleet eh? yes you said lowry Oh, my mistake. It's, it's essentially the same thing, right? Lowry was an all-star for, what, yeah. five, six years? It's Fred's having the same type of season. He deserves to be there, uh, I think it's opinion. just a difference. Those all-star years for Lowry, the Raptors were a perennial top three team in the East. I, I think that mm. when a team's winning as much as they were, it's so much easier to see the contribution that, like, non-crazy heavy score or non-score heavy, but like all important guard presence is just a lot more noticeable, I think. Yeah. Well, Lowry needs to, or Van Vliet needs to be there. Jeez. Um, I guess the other last note I had was just most of this is happening in the East. So I'm going to say that the COVID protocols really hitting down right now on a couple of teams, Chicago's games, next two games postponed against the Knicks and the Raptors. But I'm just going to read off a list of, this is all Eastern Conference team uh, players that are out right now due to protocols. Paul Millsap, Elise Johnson, Zach Levine, Troy Brown Jr., Caleb Martin, Precious Achua, R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, 
Josh Richardson, Kyle Kuzma, Ayo Desunmu, Stanley Johnson, DeMar DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Ish Smith, Mason Plumley, Jalen McDaniels, Kobe White, Javante Green, Justin Holiday, Matt Thomas, and Derek Jones Jr. Wow. Now, I think eight or nine of those guys are Chicago Bulls. That's why their team is not playing games this week. Uh, but stay safe out there, guys. Come on. It's, we're, not, we're not through this yet. And it's taking a toll on the league. And it's definitely a competitive advantage for some teams with guys who, I guess, basketball is their life and they're not going out and they're not missing time, right? Availability is the best ability. 100%. If you're getting played, paid millions of dollars to do a thing and that thing relies on you not having COVID, then make decisions that let you not get COVID. Uh, there was, oh, we're, we're going to be talking about Steph Curry and three points at one point or another. But did you know LaMelo Ball is third or fourth in the league right now and three pointers made this season? That blew my mind. I did not know that. It does make sense, though. He loves checking. <laughs> yeah not no uh comment on the percentage but still I, I don't think anyone would have predicted that a year and a half ago when he got drafted all right uh i'm actually going to keep the topic of conversation on three-point shooting for a second as we transition here to the west uh, when we did our nba check-in we talked about the utah jazz a team that had had a pretty tough strength of schedule and seemed a bit below where we thought they would be. And it looked like that was going to get a lot easier for them. That's exactly what's happened. They're on a seven game win streak right now. Just so much depth on this team. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley doing exactly what they're supposed to do. But the player I wanted to focus on for a sec, Royce O'Neal. I loved the stat line when I was looking at this guy playing 30 plus minutes. I can't, there was a seven. I can't remember if it was seven points per game or seven field goals attempted per game. That wasn't my favorite stat, though. Uh, shooting or the three ball around 40%, 100% of those three-pointers made unassisted. Oh, I thought you say in the corner, but that makes sense as well. Yeah, just a guy who plays 30 minutes a game, barely shoots the ball, but like spaces the team and when he catches it, drains it at a great efficiency. When you have players like that, your team's just going to roll. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about the Utah Jazz. Started the season five and one given. So I guess this doesn't really play into the sample, but they started five and one shot 32.5% from three in November, nine and six shot just under 37% from three. Now in December, they are 5-0, and shooting 43% from three. So the shooting percentage has regressed, and that has led to results for this Utah Jazz team. They live and die on Gobert diving to the rim, that gravity pulling guys in, and kicking out to shooters. And unlike Cade Cunningham, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich, Ingles, those guys can... Even if they're not explosive, obviously Mitchell is. He can blow by the guys. But those other guys use craftiness to beat their defenders and then kick out to a Royce O'Neal, who's going to knock down that three. Yeah, I think uh, Bogdanovich, Ingles, and one other guy, all similar to O'Neal, with like a ridiculously high percentage of their three-pointers made coming assisted. And then uh, Mitchell and 
Conley doing a lot of work on the unassisted. So guys who are going to finish for you in the open space and guys who can create their own shot. Uh, again, kind of like the Nets, not sold on them in the playoffs until we see a convincing fix of the Gobert problem that plagued them last time against the Clippers, but this team living up to all expectations in the regular season. Uh, not much left to talk about here. I, I kind of wanted to touch on the Lakers, but I'd, I don't have much to say uh, there other than that I'm kind of surprised to see them above 500. I, I thought they were doing a lot worse than that. Uh, winning the games <laughs> they're supposed to win while still being underwhelming a little. Uh, yeah. Oh, the media will make it seem like they're in the, they're a lottery team. Yeah. That's... And that's expectations versus reality, right? They've set the expectations very high. This team does not look playoff ready, but despite the sky falling, they are above 500. They're in a playoff spot and you still have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. This team is going to be active in acquisitions we already know that um and it just you can tell lebron is coasting 75 percent, 80 percent of the time he's playing heavy minutes but he's not playing high intensity minutes if that makes sense and so this lakers team again they're gonna plod their way through i think it's gonna again just like last year gonna be a little tighter than their fans would like but as long as they grab that sixth seed they don't care. They're going to turn it on come playoffs. And it's hard for me to really evaluate anything they do until I see that. There we go. Something we can evaluate, maybe the Portland Trailblazers, the sky might really be falling. A five game losing streak, a two and eight in their last 10, has them 11th behind the Sacramento Kings, a team sub 500. Let me ask you is the sky falling in Portland? A little bit. I mean, Neil O'Shea fired. Um, I think we mentioned that on a previous podcast. The the culture is not there right now in Portland. Things are changing. Ownership might have their hand in involved a little bit too much, almost like a Vancouver Canucks type situation. Uh, but this team at the core just they can't play defense. Their defense is historically bad it was historically bad last year and it's historically bad this year and they play this blitz coverage with Yusuf Nurkic who's a guy that you should probably be hanging out in the paint like a Rudy Gobert um, they go really small with the guards with Lillard McCollum and Powell trying to defend wings at times if they're getting switched Robert Covington five years ago solid defender not the same level of guy anymore that he was. And I don't think he can stay in front of the guys the same way he used to be able to. And no one coming off their bench really gives them anything special. So obviously the rumors flying everywhere about Damian Lillard becoming available, about McCollum being available. Shout out to him though. Uh, the collapsed lung, hope he's okay. That's, that's scary news. But yeah, this team can't play defense. Uh, they're not shooting tremendously well, and I, I just don't see a path forward without them starting to tear things down. Yeah, I, I think you have to commend Dame for 
the loyalty he's shown, how good of a run he's given it, but it seems like the odds are getting slimmer and slimmer, not better and better. And hope for a, a player of his caliber to see him get a fair chance at a couple more playoff rushes before father time catches up to him. Um, I don't know though. It, maybe I'll be eating my words in a month. I'm not ready to commit to that just yet. That's they're all also, I got. They're also one in 11 on the road. That doesn't help. Ooh. I, man, uh, I guess as long as they're winning home games, keeps the fans a little happier. The Raptors can certainly use some of that mojo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that's all I got, my friend. I don't know what else you wanted to touch on before well, we move on. We're on Curry watch. Uh, he just hit his second three of the game against Indiana, but you can tell no team wants to be the team that lets him break the all-time three-point record. So he's been played very tightly these last few games, but he is now four three-pointers away from tying Ray Allen's record uh, for most three-pointers ever made. Uh, in the regular season and circle your calendars folks I mean it's not too far away tomorrow night Madison Square Garden the Warriors and the Knicks could that be the night would be awesome uh poor Knicks fans but actually not poor Knicks fans bing bong I I think was it the Knicks there was one game Curry was playing and the crowd was just cheering for him as he kept drinking it might have been the Nets yeah Nets uh, but that would be pretty sweet. A historic night in a historic arena. Uh, go, I'll root for the Pacers D tonight to hope for that. <laughs> Last note, Wednesday. So Tuesday, tomorrow night, Steph versus the Knicks. Wednesday night, December 15th, really key date in the NBA calendar. That is the day when basically 20% of the league becomes eligible to be in trades and other moves. Um, that's kind of the, the deadline. So whenever new contracts are signed or extensions are signed, players can't be, be moved until the December 15th uh, deadline. So that date comes up uh, right now. I just read a tweet. I think it was before December 15th, 64% of players are available. After December 15th, 84% of players available in the NBA uh, to be traded. So the other 16 I imagine injuries and maybe mm. some no move clauses okay, on some yeah. of the contracts. Um, so that's the big day. Will we see a move right on December 15th? Who knows? But we know that one of Turner or Sabonis is leaving because the comments coming out of there and the stories coming out of there is that they, it can't happen anymore in Indiana. One of those guys is getting moved. Could it be Lillard or McCollum? Can't be McCollum right now. He's hurt. So is Lillard on the block? And then, of course, the big one hanging over everyone since uh, last year's playoffs is Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Could he be on the move? You're throwing away the one of the prime years of one of the best centers we've seen in, in a couple of decades in Joel Embiid by not turning Ben Simmons into assets that you can use to chase a, a championship. I thought you were calling Ben Simmons a center. <laughs> yeah. No, but, poor uh, Joel Embiid. And, and I guess the last guy you could throw there is Kyrie. Could the Brooklyn Nets just say, don't want to deal with this anymore. Go play in Texas where you can play half your games. Not our problem. I'm Dallas. Sure be fun. Yeah. Uh, 
it's it's so funny how the switch flipped like it was so fun to talk about Kyrie and Simmons in August and now it's just like yeah if they want to play that's great I'll care when they start doing things all righty that's it for basketball storylines we are on to talking that hockey yes sir and uh Max I gotta ask have you seen the Trevor Zegras goal Oh, well, it's not Trevor Zegers' goal, but I've seen yes. Trevor Zegers Sorry. play. What he did was so uh, shocking and <laughs> unbelievable that it basically you attach the goal to him. He kind of course. deserves the credit for what he pulled off in a game. Simply unthinkable. Uh, the Michigan assist, flipping the puck over the net uh, to be whacked out of midair. And uh, now next time, he can set it up, fake the pass, just Michigan it in the net, right? <laughs> Ridiculous stuff from him. Uh, heard a great thing from the Steve Dangle podcast. He needs to be in the all-star game, not necessarily as an all-star, but just however you get him there, get him there because he's so fun to watch. And I imagine he made Team, US's, Team USA's 55-man roster. Um, but yeah, he's that's a franchise changer for the Ducks. Really exciting to, to have him in that market. Yeah, uh, he's having the season we thought he might have last season after that spectacular run at the World Juniors that saw him earn a gold medal and play at an MVP caliber. Uh, with second on the duck, or excuse me, second in the league in rookie scoring right now, just two points behind Raymond. And the Anaheim Ducks in first in the Pacific Division. Jamie Drysdale, sixth or seventh in rookie scoring, also helping. Uh, it's nice to see a roster coming together. Uh, look out for this Ducks team. As long as Getzlaff just forgets how old he is, it's surprisingly star-studded. Yeah, it's good. Always good when one of those LA teams is, is always one of those California teams is doing well. It's just good for hockey. Um, especially with the Arizona Coyotes not being able to pay their bills. <laughs> it's nice to keep the, the stories off of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll touch on before you get into it is Alex Ovechkin. Like, yeah. oh my God, he's Period, right. right? <laughs> Do I need to say anymore? How, how is he so close to the untouchable McDavid Dreisaitl duo? Like, if some young guy if like um jack eichel got to vegas and was just started playing like the way he was supposed to be playing if it was austin matthews or mitch marner i i could believe it but how 36 years old and he's like right in pace with them it's unbelievable and the washington capitals benefiting from that as well as carolina going five and five in their last 10 has the caps ahead uh what a time to be a washington fan just keep crossing sauces baby the russian gas never goes out of, never changes style because he's always out of style <laughs> love that new limp biscuit song all right let's go north of the border the vancouver canucks was a tragedy to start the season. Lots of craziness going on in Van City. Um, and they cleaned house. 
getting rid of their coach, Travis Green, and their general manager, Jim Benning, bringing in another Jim, Rutherford, uh, who has some experience winning cups, and bring in head coach Bruce Boudreaux, who is a guy who not necessarily known for getting over the hump in the playoffs, but a guy who can turn seasons around and have regular season success, which if you are the Vancouver Canucks, that is all that you're looking for right now. We mentioned that Thatcher Demko had been playing well this season, and now he's starting to get a team playing with a system in front of him, and it has shown the Canucks have now won four in a row. They're 4-0 since Boudreaux took over as the head coach, and he just has more fun coaching, uh, a lot of great anecdotes already coming out of the locker room there, and he's telling his talented star players to go out and do their thing, right? That's that's your job is to go out there and play at a high level, do this thing that made you a star in the first place. Uh, Pedersen should be playing 19, 20 minutes a night, not 13 on the third line, like simple things, but sometimes all you need is to shake it up. Could Portland look uh, like a hundred miles to the North and, and say, maybe we should do that. I mean, they tried shaking it up with Chauncey Billups in the off season. So maybe not the, the route to go, but Vancouver uh, and hockey in general, such a fickle sport that these moves tend to have a greater effect on teams and maybe they make a run who knows, but exciting to have a Canadian team starting to, to play at a pro- prolific level. Yeah. It's almost like you roll the dice at the start of the season it comes up between one and two. You're going to have a good season three to six, not so much. You roll, get a five and then midway through, you just pick it up and roll again. And Hey, one in three chance. Uh, I'm just fudging these numbers of course, but that's always kind of how I see head coach changes. Uh, it and that's hockey. me when it works and doesn't surprise me when it doesn't. So that's hockey. We don't look at the numbers. You just put your hard hat on and go to work. That's it. <laughs> Strap the bucket on. Yep. All right. Um, the Leafs. We got to finish here. Shaky, shaky stuff from them. They have looked a little bit worse as of late. Obviously, you can't be having historic win totals in the in the month of November every month but uh, the level of play has certainly declined over the last week they still managed to pull out a win though and when we talked about that process so I don't know if this is Sheldon Keefe's favorite result but it's nice to have a win always good to get Chicago on the schedule because it seems like this season at least they're the team that's helping the Leafs reset Um, obviously that game a couple months ago, both teams going in a downward direction. Leafs got the win there. We move on. They play them again at a time when they've dropped a couple and, and they get an important win and a good confidence boost for Peter Mrazek, who has been on the IR all but like three games this season. And he gets his first win in like very teeth clenching uh, anxiety inducing fashion a 4-1 lead turns into a 4-4 game David Camp scores the uh, eventual game winner and Kyle Dubas's reaction in the press box says it all turning away shaking his head not even excited that the team has taken the lead um, this is a solid Leafs team 
I'm on board with the fact that they're solid. But every time they start to show something, they have a performance like this, at least this time they won. But we're going to keep our eyes on them as they continue into December here. Um, We've jumped on a ton of basketball as a late, so the Leafs have come fallen a bit to the back burner. But now's that time where they've banked a bunch of points. It's about maintaining. And usually around this time of the year, the Leafs fall into mediocrity, and I'd like to see them avoid that. So definitely going to be keeping the pulse. Well, I know my dad won't let me put too much basketball on in the house. I'm sure there will be plenty of Leafs uh, tomorrow night taking on the Oilers who are on a five-game skid. So that should be a bird in hand. Looking forward to chatting with you about that Thursday. But as you say, every silver lining has its dark cloud here in Toronto. Oh, geez. That's a terrible way to, to switch that around. It's, what do you expect? Like, just eight years of pessimism um, forming here and just getting stronger by the season. But we All have right. fun when we can. Yeah, exactly. Got to keep the good vibes rolling uh, this week as we get ever closer to the holidays. Cheer up, Max. You got three weeks off. You're at home, home cooking, no responsibilities. Just ride the wave, my friend. Ride the wave. Oh, I'm riding the wave. It's just always got a bit of that, you know. Undertow? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, Glad we got that through uh, eight days, a bit longer the off than would have liked. It throws a bit of a monkey wrench into our hundredth episode. I'm sorry, and... guys. I'm sorry I had my birthday. All right. If you come for me, just make sure you come for me. It's my fault. Okay. I'm sorry yeah. I had my birthday. <laughs> there you go. That's it. So uh, you know who to attack with your DMs. I hope to see lots of screenshots from you oh, of all those lovely roasts uh that's it sports next door signing out